I'm in Romans chapter 2. So again, if you're new, if you've been out for a while, I'm going to preach through Romans. We'll be here for some time. Don't know when we'll finish, but we will eventually. I'm in Romans 2 today. And really and truly, it, I think it, will, it helped me. I don't know, but I hope it'll help you to think where we are in Romans chapter 2 about false security. Because today... Uh, Paul is addressing the Jews. And I see in that two major areas in which they had this false sense of security. And Paul is going to call them out. Now, some of you will hear that and think, well, it's about the Jews, so it's not about me. But I'm telling you, there's spiritual application to be made from God's word for you and for me today. Now, false sense of security. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear that term. There were a few things that popped into my head. You know, a lot of us will have smoke detectors that require batteries. And we'll think, well, I put a battery in there sometime long ago, and it's there. But what if the battery dies? Is that a sense of false security? That there's a battery there, but I don't know if it's any good or not. It's a false sense of security. I found out this year that the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration or whatever it's called issued a recall on 41 million cars. We love airbags. They make us feel safe that if something bumps us or we bump something, the airbag's going to explode. Well, that's the problem. In 41 million cars, they're exploding. And so um, a false sense of security. Now this, I go to deep theology and I go to my happy place for deep theology on the Andy Griffith show, the bank had a sense of security. They were really trusting in Asa. And I don't know if you watch that show, but Asa slept all the time and a guard shouldn't sleep. And when he finally did draw his gun, the gun fell apart. And then they found out they could break into and out of the vault through the beauty shop. So a false sense of security all the way around. And I'm telling you, Paul is going to highlight for us today in Romans chapter 2, some, some things that resulted in a false sense of security. But I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart, that which was true of the Jews in the first century can also be true of the church in the 21st century. Uh, Romans chapter 2 is where we are, and we'll begin in verse 17. And I, I hope you will notice with me, first of all, the danger from a false sense of security from religion, from religion. Look with me at verse 17 of Romans 2. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, I admit this is a wordy passage of Scripture, and there's a lot that is there. 
but if you would just hear me, a lot of what Paul wrote about the Jews can be seen as positive. There are a lot of good things that are said about the Jews. And so the application could be there's a lot of positive things that could be said about religious people. But the problem with the Jews is that they were resting in their Jewness, and there was not a lot of substance there. And the risk for you and for me is to rest in our religiousness when there may not be a lot of substance there. In chapter seven, in, in verse 17, Paul says, you call yourselves the Jews. Now, that name represented a lot. Because if you're not familiar with Scripture or the Bible is a bit strange to you, the Jews were God's people. He had made a covenant with these people. It was through these people, this nation, that God was going to work. And so when you read in Genesis 12, he says, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. The sad thing is they were resting in who they were. They, they were calling themselves Jews. And in doing that, they were elevating themselves. They were relying upon their name, but also relying on the law. Now, the law for us is more than just the first five books of the Old Testament. Again, if the Bible's new to you, the Bible basically is divided into two. The Old Testament the New Testament, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. The Old Testament, for the Jews of that day, so much of that were, were the first five books. We call them the Pentateuch. But it also included things like Psalms and Proverbs, the wisdom literature. It included all of the prophets, the major prophets, which are the thick books in the Bible, and the minor prophets, where your pages stick together. All of that includes the law. And so he says, not only are you resting in your name, but you're resting and relying in the law. But here's the deal. The mere possession of the law gave the Jews a sense of pride and security. They weren't really living out the law. They couldn't really measure up to the law standards. And he said that you, you boast in God. And so not only were they relying on their name and the possession of the law, but they were boasting in their relationship, their connection, their knowledge of the law and the Lord. Now, there are some good things to boast in. I will not stand here today and tell you we should never boast, but I will direct you to Scripture which tells us what we should boast in. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. If you don't know these verses, man, they're awfully good verses. And I love these and use them in my life and my ministry because in Jeremiah chapter 9, the Bible says, Thus says the Lord. Who said it? The Lord. Did Jeremiah say it? No. It's another way of saying the preacher didn't say this. The prophet didn't say this. He's just reporting what God said. Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, the mighty man in his strength. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. You want to know something that's awfully good to boast in? That you know and understand the Lord. 
He says, it's good that you know that I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things, I delight, declares the Lord. So there are some really good things you and I can boast in if we know and understand the Lord and understand his character. What's not good to boast in is the name, the possession, and what we think is our standing in the world. And so as you move on down and you get to verse 18, he uh, is speaking more about the Jews. They had some very special things about them. They knew his will. They approved the things that were essential. They were being instructed out of the law. They're, they're, they're going through the motions. They're doing a lot of good things. The sad thing is they knew his will but didn't obey it. They're close to God but not close enough. And when you get to verses 19 and 20, which we already read, Paul says you're so sure of yourselves. You have a confidence. Now, sometimes it's good to have confidence. The, the word means to have a settled persuasion. I'm settled and persuaded about certain things in my life. But Paul says they had a settled persuasion about themselves. It's a nice way of saying they were just a little bit arrogant. They, they had a settled persuasion about themselves. And they went on and Paul says they considered themselves to be guides to the blind. The Jews thought that they were so self-confident, they were the ones society could lean on and trust in. And he says, a light to those in darkness. Now that is what they were originally supposed to be, a light to a dark world. And he says... They saw themselves as the instructor of the foolish, the teacher of children, having in the law, Paul said, the embodiment of what we need. Now, why is he getting on them so much? Because they had a great deal in the law. But it was never about merely possessing the law. And you say, well, why is this relevant for us? Because our name our knowledge and our notions of how we view ourselves are areas where we need to be very careful. He said, what do you mean? Well, I think we sometimes could apply a sense of pride. I'm a Christian. I've memorized a lot of the Bible. When other people see me, they see something good. And so Paul is warning the Jews, and I today am warning myself and all of us, we need to be very careful in these areas that you and I would ever rest in and have a false sense of security from religion. Look with me at verse 21 again. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say... That one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law? For it is written, Paul says it is written, and the reason why he says this is because this is happening. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now what's the significance for us? Well, as one writer said, the Jews had a belief that reflected orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is what we believe. If you ever hear me say that is an orthodox Christian view, that means it is the generally accepted, well-received, typical Christian belief. The Jews had a belief that reflected orthodoxy. They believed it, but they didn't have good orthopraxy. 
Orthopraxy means what you live out. And the challenge is sometimes people will believe one thing but live very differently. Can I put that in my terminology? (laughs) We better practice what we preach. And I didn't coin that phrase, but the truth is eternal. We better practice what we preach. One brother by the name of V.C. Grounds wrote in our Daily Bread years ago that the Christian life is like a coin. One side is belief. The other is behavior. If our behavior isn't consistent with our belief, we're hypocrites. By God's enabling grace, he said, we need to bring practice and profession into alignment. We must walk our talk, then we can talk our walk. One Christian writer put it to poem and said, I'd rather see a Christian than to hear one merely talk. I'd rather see his actions and behold his daily walk. Why is it such a big deal? Why would this matter to Paul? Well, because he says, as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Well, we as Christians need to be careful we don't become like the Jews, where we say one thing, but then our behavior results in God's name being blasphemed. And see, this happens week in and week out. Uh, One writer this week said that the Lord seems to be doing a good job cleaning his house. It is almost weekly where a significant person, a Christian of name, that something comes out. There is some fall. There is some failing. It happened again this week in our country with a well-known Christian name admitting to moral failure. When our walk doesn't match our talk, we dirty and diminish the name of God. Is it relevant for us today? Friends, it's relevant for us today. Then Paul shifts gears and he moves into an area that can be uncomfortable for some to consider, but it is, it is the topic for Jews. Not just a false sense of security from religion, but also a false sense of security from ritual. Look look at verse 25. There the Bible says, Romans 2 verse 25, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. But the spirit, not by the letter, his praise is not from man, but from God. Now, as I said, I know this is a foreign topic to some, and you may say, why in the world would we even address that? How does that apply to me? Well, because circumcision was not merely the physical act that meant someone was a part of the covenant people of God. Paul understood this topic better than many. He was a Jew. 
But the point he is making is that it is only a value if you live what circumcision represented. The act itself was never the point. It was only profitable for the Jews if they kept the law, if they lived what the symbol meant. And so Paul says, regarding one that is uncircumcised but keeps the law, he says, will his uncircumcised challenge or status change by keeping the law? So here's the point. Our lives will condemn us if we're not careful. Verse 28 is very bold. Paul makes the point that going through the motions of circumcision is not what makes one a Jew. Because it was always meant to be an inward reality. It was an outward representation of an inward reality. And so some of you will say that has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with all of us. Because the temptation every day in every way is for you and for me to rest upon some outward symbol rather than an inward reality. You say, not me. I say, oh, yes, you. So let me give you some illustrations. I want to talk to you about going to church, being faithful in a local body of Christ. I'm in favor of that. You'd expect a preacher to say that. You'd expect a preacher to be in the front of the line for those who say, who's going to church? By golly, the preacher's here. Let's all go. I believe in going to church. I believe there's great benefit of being in a worship gathering. We sing songs that praise the name of the Lord. And some of those songs will even challenge us. Whoever the preacher is, Hopefully, by the time the worship service is over, a passage of Scripture makes more sense to you and has challenged you. If you've gone to small group like we encourage you to do, and if you're not doing it, you're missing out, but if you've gone to small group, you've connected with people like you who have struggled to live a faithful life through the week. And you can pray together, you can be encouraged together, you can study the Word together. You'll meet out here in the hallway, shake hands, hug necks, have coffee. How's it going? How can I pray for you? I believe in going to church. And I'm telling you, when you choose not to go to church, it is detrimental to you and your family. If you've got young children in your life and you're choosing other things over church, I'm just telling you, you're teaching your kids something. It may not be what you want to teach them, but you're teaching them something. I believe in going to church. But let me make something very clear to you. Coming to church does not make you right with God. You come to church because you are right with God. You come to church and worship with others because God's already changed your heart. You don't come in this place and get changed. God doesn't look down here and say, hey, had a boy, had a girl. You made it to church today. If you're doing that, you're trusting in ritual. Now, let me go a step further. I believe serving the Lord is very important. And I'm so impressed. We have so many people that are serving the Lord through this church. Can I just, can I just do a sidetrack right here? I am so thankful for all of you that serve in so many ways. I, I tell y'all sometimes, I can't keep up with everything that's going on. I find out some things going on at and through Gillum Springs on social media. 
And somebody would say, what's that about? And I said, I have no clue, but isn't it great? You know, I was out of town this week with the staff in Nashville, and I'm seeing things that are going. I'm so thankful for all of you. When we transitioned to three services, some of our staff had always been in here on Sunday morning, which is where I hang out on Sundays, if y'all hadn't noticed. No clue with everything that's going on out there, whether you're teaching or whether you're greeting or whether you're security or you're helping folks get in and out of their cars. I'm telling you, I'm grateful for everything that you do. I think serving the Lord is important. You'd expect the preacher to say that. I like to consider myself the chief servant. I think I'm supposed to lead the way. Some people on staff fuss at me and say, no, you don't have to be there. And I have to remind them every now and then, I, I don't tell you how to do your ministry. Don't tell me how to do my ministry. Let me serve. Let me move a table or a chair every now and then. They really fuss at me for that now. Friend, I'm telling you, I think serving the Lord is important. You want to make your life better and get your eyes off the problems we all have, serve somebody else in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, I believe in serving the Lord. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're serving the Lord thinking that's going to impress God, you're trusting in a ritual. That's not what makes you serve the Lord because he's already grabbed your heart. You serve the Lord because you're grateful for what he's already done. You serve the Lord out of the overflow of your love that's already there for Jesus. Are y'all tracking with me? Let, me? let me really make you uncomfortable. Y'all ever want to know how to shut down noise in a church? Just mention giving. <laughs> I think giving is biblical. I think giving is what you and I are supposed to do. It's not because the pastor is greedy. It is not because of the bills that we have. It's because God's already blessed us. And he asked for such a small portion back. And so I think you ought to give. And if you're not, you ought to start. We ought to give. But listen to me. If you hear this sermon and then you write the check, friend, I'm telling you, if you write that check or give that money and you think this is going to impress God, you are trusting in a ritual. So you say, this isn't relevant for us. He's talking about Jews and circumcision. Friend, I'm telling you, you and I can be tempted to rest in a false security that comes from religion and ritual. And that is not what God's intention was for you and for me. Now, this entire section deals with the Jews. Why? Because they are completely and totally intertwined with the workings of God in this world. They're God's chosen people. They are the ones that God said, I'm going to work through you. And there are those who would look at the Jews and say, well, man, they've got it going on. A lot of what he said in this passage is very good. These are not the people described in chapter 1. These are not the ungodly, the unrighteous. These are not the ones who are worshiping the image of man. These are not the ones who are worshiping the images of the birds and the creeping things. These are not the ones who have exchanged a natural relation with an unnatural relationship. So why highlight the Jews? Because they were condemning themselves. And if you and I are not careful, we can condemn ourselves and just because they were God's people did not mean they would escape the wrath of God 
the Jews had religion and ritual, and you and I do as well. And so let me just say something almost in closing. So don't get too excited yet. Almost in closing. Grace was never, is not now, and will never be about a pass to live however we choose. Grace is about the love of God poured out so that we would realize our need for a Savior. Grace is the strength and the courage to trust in that Savior as our only means of salvation. Grace is the means that you and I would daily crucify ourselves so that we may live the life of an obedient disciple following Jesus. And I want to tell you, if you have attached yourself merely to religion, simply to ritual, you're in a very dangerous place. I've shown the video I want you to watch again this morning. If you weren't here that Sunday, then you missed it, but here it is again. This is a video of something that actually happened. Now, it's going to be explained as we go through. This video is of the gentleman on the left, and he is about to go hang gliding in Switzerland. And the moment he took off, he realized there was a problem. He's not attached to the hang glider. He had on the vest, he had on the straps, he had on the helmet. And as soon as they took off, he realized, I've got a major problem. The, the gentleman on the right is the pilot. He finds this area, which is just a short distance from where they took off, and he thought he could land it there, realized that he couldn't, and would y'all look at the mountain that they now have to go over. I know many of you have seen this video. And I'm showing it to you for another reason today because I think it illustrates so well what's going on. This guy on the left is clinging to that bar for his life. He's holding on to the pilot. I wonder what else he's doing. I mean, I wonder if he's praying a lot. I don't think he's laughing very much. But you'll see in just a minute the statement come across the bottom that the pilot makes a beeline to the valley because that's going to be the only way to save this guy if he can hold on long enough. Now, if you read about this event, you find out that this pilot got this hang glider down as quickly as he could, but he realizes that the guy, he really is in danger. The vest, the, look, look at him with his feet trying to hold him. It's mind-blowing. Now, this makes me want to go to Switzerland and hang glide. I'd really like to be strapped in. Um, but he's quickly making his way down to the valley. And again, I've shown this to you before, and you may wonder, why in the world would I show this to you again? And as you watch this guy finally make it down, he gets close enough to the ground where he can finally let go. He's injured in the fall. Surgery is required. But he's got a great video and a story he will tell for generations and generations. And so here's the end of the video. He lets go. And he lands. And everything is going to be fine. He survives. The pilot eventually lands. 
All right, so we, we see the video. Why would I share that again with you today? Because I'm going to tell you, that guy looked like a hang glider. He had on the vest. He had all the straps. He had the helmet. I'll bet you he had read about this experience and knew a little bit about it. But you know what the problem was? He wasn't attached to the hang glider. There was a false sense of security in that vest and those straps and that helmet. If you're not attached to the hang glider, you've got a problem. And friend, I want to tell you, if you're resting in knowing about Jesus and being around Jesus people and doing some Jesus things, but you're not attached to Jesus, you've got a much bigger problem than this guy had. And friend, I'm telling you, sometimes I feel like the pilot of that hang glider. I'm trying to grab, I'm trying to pull, I'm trying to do all I can, but I'm telling you, <laughs> the pilot and the preacher can only do so much. You've got to be attached to Jesus. Don't rest in religion. Because if you're resting in religion and how much you know and the name Christian, friend, I'm telling you, you're going to stand before God one day and you're going to be so disappointed. And if you're resting in ritual, well, I look like, I act like, I talk like, it's not enough. You've got to be in Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, today how thankful we are for a challenging but truthful word that we can never, never, never rest merely in religion and ritual. And if there's someone who hears this message and the Holy Spirit would convict them of that truth, God, I pray you'd pour out your grace on them to have the courage, the strength, the wisdom to have saving faith. And then all of us would have the grace to daily crucify ourselves, to be obedient disciples. Lord, forbid it that we would ever, with possession of your word, with the power of the Holy Spirit, ever just be guilty of going through the motions and resting in activity. Lord, forbid that, I pray. Would you make clear to all of us our right standing with you? And if that cannot be made clear, God, make it abundantly clear that we need you. We thank you for your great love and pray you'll find in us obedient followers of your son Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.